Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. How the hell are you? It's been a couple of weeks. 3,130 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Where for as little as a $1 contribution, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. And 5,600 amazing followers at Notorious Banker on TikTok. Guys, thank you so very much for your support. I really do appreciate it. And I thank you for the support in the last week. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since I've done this podcast. And shout out to the amazing people who left um, good reviews, good comments about the podcast episode I did last, which was the insane um, Bank of America banker who was arrested for stealing nude photos from Houston area um, young women. Totally frustrating. And um, a lot of people were blown away by what I broke down about how the bankers aren't supposed to touch your devices and the whole sales element which to me was equally as gross as what this gentleman did and um a lot of you sent me comments that said hey like you know i've had bankers touch my phone too and honestly you know i i understand that trust is there i was a very trustworthy guy when i worked at bank of america do not let people touch your phone okay don't let that temptation get into someone's brain because you don't know what's going on on the other side of that desk and I really hope that that guy is put away for a long time. That's my personal opinion. Um, but I wanted to address something. You know, thank you so much to everyone who was supporting me in the last week. Um, I was offline pretty much most of the week. Um, if you have been following me, the Notorious Banker, for a while, you know that I have um, a high school bully that at the age of 37 continues to just torment me and I don't want to say torment because it doesn't really make me feel bad anymore but he just continues to harass me on social media to the point where I've had to file two police reports in the last week and I gotta tell you it's really really frustrating um if you remember in July he was harassing me for two days straight and I told you that I had filed a police report and I reached out to his boss because he worked for the city of Socorro New Mexico which is my hometown and basically it sent me into this tailspin of anger and depression that I didn't want to feel again and I was just really frustrated and this time I took the bull by the horns I saw that he was doing it again I filed a police report I took care of things legally I will be pursuing legal action on this um, on this joke on this joker um, so I'm working on that but it was a really hard time having to deal with all the intricacies of having to file police reports and stuff so i wasn't on social media as much as i would like to be last week and then you couple that with the easter holiday and everything it was just a mess and i just decided you know what let's just call a little siesta let's take a few days off let's gather our thoughts and let's start back strong this week well here we are on wednesday of the next week and i'm talking to you with my eyes closed because i have severe allergies it's pollen season in new mexico and apparently my face is not agreeing with what's in the air so if you hear me kind of labored talking, then you probably know why. But you know what? I really wanted to do a podcast because there's so many interesting things going on in the banking world. And there's so many people that are reaching out to me from the state of California, for, for instance. And I am going to be doing a full podcast about something I read in the Los Angeles Times yesterday, which was really interesting. And I have some thoughts about it. Um, but a lot of you, you know, who listen to me know who I am. But to those of you who are new to my podcast, let me introduce myself. My name is James Baca. I am known as the Notorious Banker. I was a 13-year employee of Bank of America in Socorro and Las Cruces, New Mexico, 
I was a part-time teller. I was a sales and service specialist. I was a personal banker relationship manager. Essentially, I was the manager of sales for my region in Bank of America. Terminated in 2018, I spent the last two and a half years doing consumer advocacy for people to fight back against big banks. Yes, I took a paycheck from a big bank, I understand that. It was one part my parents and my family were proud of me, and it was a good paying job at the time to take care of the bills, but you know what? Um, my mental health, uh, my physical health too, were important to me. So after I left the banking industry, I decided to do this because there are a lot of things going on in banking that I want to address, and I do address with this podcast and my Twitter account, at Guy. And $1.5 million has been recovered by me when it comes to fees, fraud claim reversals, and the like with my Vigilante customer service since April 2019. I'll get to that in a future podcast this month. I work really hard at what I do. I'm no holds barred. I'm unfiltered. If I use the F word, if I use the S word in my commentary in the podcast, it's because I'm so passionate about this and not because I look to add shock value to this content about banking here. Um, underbanked and unbanked people are some serious problems in this country. And with the onset of COVID-19, it seems like there are more underbanked and unbanked people um, in America because of the big banks, Bank of America being the biggest one. You know, there's a lot going on with Wells Fargo still. There's a lot going on with other big banks. But I got to tell you, my experience with Bank of America tells me that there's about 67 million customers that bank with them that don't realize that there's a lot going on. And that's why this podcast started. With Wells Fargo being so widely in the news, it seems like customer service is at an all-time low, while profits are going to be at an all-time high pretty soon. The Notorious Banker podcast aims to kind of just shed some light on what goes on behind the scenes at Big Banks, the inner workings, how the sausage is made. So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, um, listen to some old podcasts, listen to some things that might interest you. Um, I give an unfiltered opinion. Do I think my opinions are 100% right? At all times, absolutely not. No one's 100% correct in their opinions and assumptions. But I had 13 years of working in a banking industry and a place that I wanted to work and I loved to work at a time. That was a place I wanted to grow with the company and be someone important. Some some place that I didn't get to be at Bank of America. But I listened and, and looked at my bosses as you know sources of inspiration and hope that I can grow with the company. So I listened to every training. I listened to every meeting, every huddle. I was part of sales goals for many, many quarters and many, many years. So I understand the way they think, and I'm sharing the way they think with with you, the listener. So I am the notorious banker, and I'm going to continue to do this um, until they until they sue me, I guess, <laughs> or until I get famous enough to where I don't have to podcast all the time. So I have a um, a topic for today's podcast, and it's something I read in the Los Angeles Times. Um, the state of California is considering a public banking option. You know, there's so many unbanked and underbanked people in California because it's the biggest state in the country, for God's sakes. You know, there's millions of people who rely on check cashing services and, you know, payday loan companies and the like. And it's just really bad. It's a really toxic thing that is spawned from um, big banks not really giving a shit, excuse my language, about the average customer or the below average customer. So after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a fascinating article I read. 
um, yesterday, and I got to tell you, it's opened my eyes to a couple of things. I do think there are some positives with public banking in California if it does come to fruition, but also there might be some downsides to it, and I'll get to those in just a second. So once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'll be right back right after this. Hey everyone, it's James, an notorious banker, inviting you to join me on my TikTok page. Yes, it's true. A 37-year-old man has a TikTok page. It's at Notorious Banker. The Notorious Banker on TikTok is going to continue to provide commentary about the news and notes from big banks and how they are impacting consumers nationwide. But we're going to add a little bit of spice to it. We're going to add a little bit of comedy, a little bit of music. I really think you can get a message across with entertainment, and TikTok does provide that. The Notorious Banker always had to provide scripting whenever he worked in the big banking industry, so scripting out skits to show people the horrors of big banking is no problem to me. So go to at Notorious Banker on TikTok and see the creative mind that is yours truly, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks and inform the young people about the dangers of big banks. So once again, the Notorious Banker on TikTok, at Notorious Banker. I hope to see you there. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. So as I mentioned, last week I was kind of sidetracked, had my own little bullying thing going on, and I had to take care of police reports and talk to a million people, and it was really frustrating because I didn't get a chance to read the news as much as I normally do. And then, of course, with Easter, typically I'm with the in-laws in the mountains of Reserve, New Mexico, 10,000 feet elevation, cooking hot dogs and fried chicken. So I was sidetracked and I didn't have cell signal. I was hanging out with my nieces and nephews. So it was one of those times where I just had a total media blackout. And those who know me know that I love reading everything. Little LA Times, New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Charlotte Observer. Shout out to the former banking reporter there, Austin Weinstein, who has left the Charlotte Observer, hopefully to greener pastures somewhere where he can possibly help the notorious banker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, and all these other places, you know, listen, read CNBC and just anything that people post on Twitter, of course, because I'm on Twitter all the time. So I read everything and I do podcasts about these things. And most of the time it's about big banks. And this um, story that I read kind of in a, in a roundabout way has to do with big banks, but it's more about what the state of California is wanting to do to help the underbanked or unbanked population there. And I don't have the census estimates for California, but it's somewhere around 40 million people in California. That is a shit ton of people. That is 20 times the amount of the state of New Mexico thereabouts. And it's a lot. And I can tell you how many unbanked people are in Las Cruces. It's probably a fourth to a third. It's it's true. It really is because... You know, the majority of the population here is Hispanic and the majority of the population do not trust banks or they're afraid of even going to the banks because of ID requirements or whatever. That's the story of my life. That's the story of me as a banker here in, in southern New Mexico. So I'm familiar with that. But with COVID-19 and, you know, those of you who've listened to this podcast have understood and you've heard me talk about it and you've heard me talk about me writing this book this crazy book where I'm going to talk about all these things that I've noticed with big banks since the onset of COVID-19. Um, the one thing that, of course, is out there and is noticeable is the amount of unbanked and un- underbanked people out there. It's crazy. Um, in California, although I have slept a total of four nights in California my whole life, I have had conversations with people who cannot find an open bank of America in L.A., for instance. I was talking to some dude today who cannot find an open bank of America in Sacramento, 
today. All of them were closed, he said. Um, closures, Northern California is dealing with these temporary becoming permanent closures of Bank of America. Wells Fargo's were doing the same thing. And in this article that I'm about to kind of quote from here, you know, there's pictures of, you know, Wells Fargo ATMs and what it looks like lower income neighborhoods, a boarded up U.S. bank ATM in downtown Los Angeles. And it's frustrating and scary. You know, my wife can tell you one of the things that I hate seeing are boarded up gas stations. I don't know why. It's just a fear of mine. And seeing so many businesses close is alarming because of COVID-19. But when you see big banks do that, it's not a, oh, man, they must be going out of business because, man, look, in L.A., they've closed 15 Bank of Americas today. No. Okay? Big banks are making billions of dollars. Big banks with PPP loans and everything that they are getting from their preferred customers during the pandemic, including deposits, mind you, because the rich are getting richer. Big banks are not worrying about anything other than those rich people and about them getting richer themselves. The average customer does not have a chance anymore, and that's why the notorious banker is here and he's talking about these things. So I read an article from Margot Roosevelt of the Los Angeles Times, and um, I haven't had the pleasure to read an article from her before, and I read this one, and I was kind of just blown away um, by what's going on because I was blissfully unaware of what's going on in California, aside from the horrible EDD stuff that Bank of America has um, gotten into. And, of course, I did an hour-long video explaining my thoughts and, and theories of what's going on with California unemployment. And I really do think that there's a lot of internal fraud, internal theft, and internal intentional non-compliance of the rules with EDD that is causing a lot of people to not have their money and causing a lot of Californians to suffer. And Bank of America runs unemployment in Nevada, Arizona, New Jersey, Maryland, among other states, and similar experiences are there to a much lesser extent. But Margot's article talks about um, low-wage workers, unbanked, underbanked people, and um, I have a habit of reading the whole article verbatim. I'm not going to do that here because I want you to support journalism, whether it's local or a big-time paper like this. And I will link to this article in the show notes. I know reporters are judged on how many clicks they get on a story and stuff. I don't want to steal that from anyone, so the link is in the show notes. Check that out and understand that, you know what, there's some great writers out there. And it's really important to read these things because otherwise... Yes, big banks are bad, and there needs to be a better way. But if we're just talking about it amongst ourselves and not learning what's going on behind the scenes or with state or federal governments, then we're never going to understand fully how to fix this problem because it, it is a problem. So I'm going to just read the beginning of this. It says, escalating overdraft charges, minimum balances, high ATM, check cashing, and debit card fees. Banking can be expensive, especially for low-wage workers. Now, those two sentences are interesting because the escalating overdraft charges, to me, escalating means that, of course, like, you know, the overdraft fee is 35, then it's 50 or whatever. Overdrafts are pretty steady with the amount. It's just the amount of overdraft charges that a lot of people get, especially whenever they're low income. Minimum balance requirements are huge. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Chase all have somewhere between a $1,000 and $1,500 minimum balance requirement to avoid fees. High ATM fees um, in underbanked communities are prevalent. 
you know, you go to a neighborhood that's predominantly African-American or Hispanic, um, there's not a lot of big bank ATMs. And I have talked about this in a podcast, and I've written about it in this book that I'm doing. Big banks in black neighborhoods turn off their ATMs at 6 or 7 p.m., meaning those African-American folks have to go into neighborhoods not their own to be able to transact at the ATM unless they want to go to a non-bank ATM where they get charged these crazy fees. Um, There was a story in St. Louis, Missouri last January that I did a podcast about where Bank of America turned off its ATMs in black neighborhoods at 6 p.m., and the nearest ATM that the people had to cross into was Ferguson, Missouri, um, home of that sh- police shooting in 2014 that happened on my wedding night. That's the only reason I remember that. So people had to go to this neighborhood where they feel at risk by police or just being in the wrong place. And just to go take money out because the bank turns off their ATMs for, quote, security reasons, give me a break. No, they had to go to liquor stores. They had to go to grocery stores to take money out of the ATMs there. And they get charged $250, $3 each time. The bank charges them an additional $250 out of network fee. So it's $5 or $6 to get $20 out if you only get $20 out. Check cashing and debit card fees. Check cashing fees are $8 at Bank of America. There are various amounts at big banks. But most people go to check cashing places, which are prevalent in lower income neighborhoods because people make a shit ton of money off of that. Debit card fees, Bank of America doesn't have a debit card fee, but there are some prepaid debit cards, cash pay cards that do charge you fees for using it too many times in a day. I have a debit card that I get for donating plasma that if I use it twice in 24 hours, I get charged 50 cents. Well, 50 cents may not sound like a lot. 50 cents is two, you know, bags of ramen noodles that can, that that can feed someone for a day. It's a lot of money at the end of the day. Banking can be expensive, especially for low-wage workers. A score of California lawmakers have signed on to a new bill designed to offer Golden State households free financial services, taking on the state's powerful banks at a time when easier access to banking services can help families cope with the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. If it passes, the California Public Banking Option Act will create BankCal, the first state government program in the nation to offer universal consumer banking, according to financial policy experts. The program would provide no-fee debit cards, direct deposits from employers and government agencies, electronic bill payment, and ATM access directly competing with private banks. First of all, BankCal, that's a that's a novel name. <laughs> I mean, did, did it take five people in marketing to come up with that? Um, it, it's just funny to me that, you know, we spend all the time thinking of, you know, how we name our banks. And I think Bank of America, for instance, um co-opting the flag as part of their logo i always used to say it because during um fall semester and spring semester i would help a lot of um, customers from around the world that were coming here for school people from india pakistan china russia saudi arabia kuwait iran iraq i helped all these people and it seemed like they all came to bank of america and i think it's because they thought maybe it was the de facto national bank for america which to me is horrible, and it, it tells me Bank of America should change their name, but that's another story for another day. But Bank Cal, huh? Okay, well, um, I won't fault you on the name, but if you're if you're trying to offer universal consumer banking services, that's a great first step. And I got to tell you, there are so many people that are unbanked and underbanked because of where they live at. You know, my hometown of Socorro, New Mexico, is very low income. About a third of the population's um, below the poverty line. 
They still have a Wells Fargo over there, but the Bank of America that I worked at whenever I was a kid um, was sold. They closed it down, and it became a, a mid-regional bank, Washington Federal. Um, and First State Bank is a local bank there. They deal with local banks all the time. But it's a place where big banks don't want to be at. And Wells Fargo has closed their branch in nearby Magdalena, which is 26 miles away from my hometown. So big banks are fleeing these communities where they're not making a lot of money. And yes, I understand it's America and American businesses should want to make money. That's the American way is to earn a living, right? Yes, but you know what? There's some things that you just want to do for out of the kindness of your heart. And big banks aren't doing that. So this bill that's going to uh, be introduced in California, giving people basic um, financial services, it sounds like a huge undertaking. I don't know what the amount is going to be to actually get this going um, because infrastructure you know the whole thing of issuing debit cards and, and renting out spaces um to have these banks to set up accounts or to do customer service it's a lot of money i'm sure it's going to be in the billions of dollars so to create this company out of nowhere just seems like a huge undertaking and with what's going on with edd in california i'm a little bit skeptical of how the state kind of intertwines banking services especially those Bank of America EDD debit cards with the general public because, as you know, Bank of America is freezing those debit cards, citing fraud whenever there is um, no proof that the customer is committing fraud or whenever fraud is committed on the customer, Bank of America moves at a turtle's pace to try to resolve those claims, leaving people without the money that they so desperately need. To provide no-fee debit cards is important. Direct deposits from employers and government agencies those fixed income folks, those SSI disability people are the ones that are at risk at big banks. I call them the first of the monthers. Basically, they would go in in the first or the third, get their full amount out of Social Security that they get via direct deposit in cash, and they wouldn't be back for the rest of the month. The bank hates those people. The bank calls them cloggers. My manager used to call them cloggers, like clogging the toilet cloggers, um, because they don't buy anything. They don't grow their money they don't get additional products. Most of them have shitty credit. So what the hell does the bank want them standing around in line? Especially when the lines have to be spaced six feet apart because of COVID-19. So banks are treating these people like ass more than ever. And it's just, it sucks so bad. Um, so that'll help a lot of people. Here's my pushback before I get to the next part of, you know, the program offers direct deposits from employers. It, a bank is supposed to do that. A bank should offer a direct deposit capability from your job. The issue isn't that. The issue is getting the employers to to offer direct deposit. I can tell you a lot of Hispanic people, and I know a lot of African-American folks um, that I've talked to in the past, do not like direct deposit if they own a business. They're like, I like to write my own paychecks you know my employees get a paycheck that's handwritten by me and signed by me to give that personal touch well yeah that's all well and good until bank of america charges your your personal touch customer 144 dollars a year because you write a paycheck out to that person and i'm not saying you're doing wrong you could do things however the hell you want but the way that banking is now is offering direct deposit is the way to waive fees at most banks. And I understand that with big banks. And in a weird way, I kind of respect that. They're setting these ground rules saying, hey, you know what? It costs a lot of money to process this paper. If we do it electronically, we'll give the customer a free account. 
But here's the problem with that. If if you work at a job and your boss doesn't believe in that type of stuff, why do you have to pay the price? Why does a bank charge you $12 a month at Bank of America, $10 a month at Wells Fargo, you know, up to $25 a month at some places because your boss decided, yeah, no, I don't know about this direct deposit stuff. Give me 100 checks. You need to have the employers buy in for that, and there are still going to be a lot of employers that just don't do that. Electronic bill payment and ATM access, okay, that's fine. These no-fee debit cards, that's all well and good. Are these no-fee debit cards going to be part of, like, the AllPoint network? AllPoint is a network of ATMs that are 40,000 strong. Capital One is the most prominent company that I know that uses AllPoint, and they're typically located in CVS and Walgreens pharmacies. Um, some Target stores do have AllPoint ATMs, and I've seen a couple here and there um, at, like, Circle K and... Um, quick trip for those of you who are in the Midwest. So I've seen it, and I know that it's it's um, it's scalable. They'll be able to offer that. But to get into those agreements, how much is that going to cost the state to get into bed with these ATM providers? And are there going to be enough in California to sustain the need for, let's say, 10 million bank Cal customers to be able to access their money? Yes, not everyone uses the ATM to get money out. You know, that's just a, a minority now that, you know, like to handle cash. My grandma and grandpa are ones that like to handle cash, but they're not the majority. You know, the majority of people like their debit card and like to use it, and they don't want to get charged for it. And most places don't charge for it, but you got to be serious about offering those things if you really, truly mean it. So, you know, easier access to banking services is one thing, but there's still a lot of buy-in that has to be from third parties. Assemblyman Miguel Santiago says, The bill creates a way for Californians to bank without paying exorbitant fees, money that could be used for food and rent or rebuilding from the economic devastation wreaked by the pandemic. And, yeah, okay, so, you know, three overdrafts is $105. I'm an extreme couponer. $105 in groceries to me can literally fill up this house because I'm crazy with coupons. And some people are good at that. But some people are, you know, they have they live in food deserts. They don't have name brand grocery stores, Smith's or Albertsons or Vaughn's or whatever the chain grocery store is in your state. You know, places in the hood, the ghetto, don't have those places. So they have to play, you know, pay more expensive prices for day-to-day items. So yes, every little bit helps when it comes to saving money. Santiago also said, if a rich person earns money, that money makes money. When a per- poor person earns money, that money is gouged from any, every corner. Financial institutions make enormous profit off the backs of those who say who they say they help. Abso-fucking-lutely, Okay. I don't know who Miguel Santiago is, but does he host this podcast called The Notorious Banker? <laughs> you know, what I mean? it, it really pisses me off. And I'm really glad that he said it that way. You know, the rich person earns money, that money makes money. It's not with savings accounts and CDs and stuff. It's investments. Big banks want those rich people to get into Merrill Lynch, to get into Wells Fargo Investment Banking, Chase Private Bank. And they want you to do trading. They want you to do long-term things that have high yield poor people don't have that paycheck to paycheck customers are the scourge of big banks and they gouge them from every corner and i know this and i and i feel this you know it's frustrating because you can get an overdraft fee of 35 dollars. you could have a monthly maintenance fee of 12 dollars at bank of america you can lose your debit card um, once a month and that's a five dollar fee 
all of a sudden you're paying $50 a month for banking services, which is $600 a year for what? And, and this is the way Bank of America taught me to counteract someone saying, hey, why am I paying so much to you guys? What, what the hell do you provide me when I give you $100 of my money in overdraft fees and a monthly maintenance fee every month? Listen to my bank voice here. I have allergies, so I'm going to clear my throat, and then I'm going to try to do my best Bank of America voice again. <clears throat> Mr. Customer, thank you for those concerns. You know, with Bank of America, yes, we understand that you're paying a monthly maintenance fee for this account, but you got to understand that there's a value in having that account. Oh, they fucking love that word, value. There's a value in having a Bank of America account. Um, for the $12 a month you pay, consider it like a membership fee. Don't call it a maintenance fee. I call it a, a membership fee. And for that, you get a Visa, MasterCard, debit card, which is accepted in over you know, 20,000 ATMs in Bank of America's network and millions of places where Visa and MasterCard are accepted. You get our award-winning online banking, which allows you to check your balance every second of the day. And it allows you to pay your bills for free at your convenience. And of course, you have the benefit of 4,300 locations of Bank of America located in 43 states. Not to mention we have partners in other parts of the world, such as Westpac in Australia and New Zealand, China Construction Bank if you ever go to China, and various other places like Biennale d'Italia in Italy and... Um, even BNP Paribas in France, I almost forgot that one, <laughs> and very various other banks to fulfill your banking needs. Um, so yes, there is a fee for this, but I got to tell you, the value um, outweighs the fee in so many ways, and I really thank you for being a Bank of America customer. And I still got it, right? Two and a half years later, I still have that tone, I still have that bullshit that I was scripted to tell. It's the value it's the value that you you get access to 4,300 locations for $12. Yeah, you're not going to go to all 4,300 locations. If you're poor, maybe you go to one or two in your city. I'm not from L.A. I'm not from New York. But I know people who live there, sometimes they only, you know, they only live, quote unquote, in a 20 to 40 block radius. They don't go any other places in town. I live in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and I, I stay in my little quadrant of three miles here. And we don't have much on this quadrant. The mall's in the other quadrant. So the value of shit like that does not matter. So the guy's right when he says money is gouged from every corner because... Yes, they do charge fees, but then the bank has ways of saying that. How do they how do they talk your talk their way out of overdraft fees? Well, Mr. Customer, you know, it's really important to pay your bills. We understand that. So what Bank of America does is it allows this transaction to be processed. Um, to make sure that you're, you know, on par with everything, that you take care of the bills that you need to keep the lights on, to keep your phone going. Um, but Bank of America does institute a $35 fee. Uh, to overdraft the account it's a it's a convenience charge if you will and that's just saying that you know we're allowing you to continue to pay your bills at your leisure <laughs> it, it's bullshit and i used to say this all the time all the time the plight of the unbanked and underbanked is a new focus of the nation as the nation seeks to address the economic and racial inequities that have grown during the covid 19 pandemic and you know that i'm talking about this guys you really really know and you know, it talks about government banking initiatives have been, you know, kind of brewing in the forefront since the 2008 bailouts of the big banks. And then, of course, the Wells Fargo scandal. And I'll read this paragraph here because uh, Margot did put it in her article. And I want to say my um, thing that I always say when I talk about the Wells Fargo scandal. 
The San Francisco Bank was assessed $3 billion to settle criminal charges and a civil action after boosting profits with millions of fake checking, savings, and credit card accounts opened without customers' consent. <clears throat> As the many thousands of listeners of the Notorious Banker Project know, I do not like calling it the fake account scandal. It, it really ticks me off to call it that. I call it the unauthorized account scandal. To call it a fake checking account, to call it a fake savings account, to call it a fake credit card is not correct. Those are real accounts with real fees that caused real problems for real American people. I dealt with people who were part of the unauthorized account scandal. I, I dealt with a couple of homeless people who I tried to open an account for. And yes, homeless people do have bank accounts, by the way. Um, and when I would run them through check systems, which is the system that most banks use to approve or decline accounts for customers, I would get charged off notifications for five Wells Fargo accounts for these people. And I would call check systems and say, hey, can you check on John Smith for me? And it says account closure, $24 Wells Fargo. Account closure, $10 Wells Fargo. And basically what happens was these fees get charged off by Wells Fargo because they were, you know, unauthorized accounts that that homeless person never knew that he or she had. And all of a sudden, they owe this bank money. And now they can't open a bank anywhere else in the United States because most banks won't open an account for you unless you take care of what you owe at another bank. I've turned away hundreds of clients, thousands of clients over the years because of that, and it sucks. As a salesperson, it freaking sucks because you, you lose money towards your sales goal at that point in time. But I've seen it, and I've seen people go, well, I can't afford to pay Wells Fargo for accounts that I didn't even know that I had, so I'm just going to take my check to go cash at the check cashing place. And that's how you unbank someone. So it's an unauthorized account scandal. It's real problems. And it says, you know, 3 million customers or 3 million unauthorized accounts were created. Um, there's several hundred thousand people who still don't bank as a result of Wells Fargo. And there can be any class action lawsuit settlements. Even my mom got one a month ago. Uh, trust me, there are some serious issues still that are as a result of the unauthorized account scandal. So they were not fake accounts. They were unauthorized accounts. I know it's easy for people in the media or anyone to talk about this on Twitter, social media. Do not call it the fake account scandal. Those were real accounts that made real money for bankers and for bank executives at Wells Fargo. And, you know, we've been talking about public banking for a while now. I know last year um, a couple of Democrats uh, in the Senate, I, I want to say that um, Bernie Sanders is one of them, although he's not a real Democrat, we're talking about using the post office to, to do banking services. And, you know, aside from the, the partisan stuff going on with the, um, the post office last year with the Joy or whatever his name is, um, the post office is failing. And it's been failing for 20 years. It was failing in 2001 whenever I would bootleg DVDs to sell on eBay. And I would go there with 50 packages going to 30 different states with bootlegs, bootleg Sopranos DVDs. And I would mail them from New Mexico to New York for $1.44. Yeah, it didn't seem scalable. It didn't seem like it was going to survive. But of course, the biggest thing that's impacting the post office is there's so many postal workers that are getting this full pension and they're not dying because people live long lives and until postal employees die or until the pension thing gets reworked, 
they're just going to be hemorrhaging money. So I don't think that's a viable option. It's going to take state governments or city governments to kind of think of banking options if they're wanting to say, screw big banks, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take it anymore, basically. It says AB 1177 is scheduled to be heard before the Assembly Banking and Finance Committee on April 29th. The California Bankers Association opposes the bill. No shit. <laughs> Saying many of the state's nearly 150 financial institutions already offer low-cost banking options. And now I want to get into that. I know this podcast might be 50 minutes long, but I got to get into that. So whenever 150 financial institutions say we offer low-cost banking options, I'm just going to pick on the big banks. I'm not going to pick on some of these little banks here because, you know what, they need to make money too. And frankly, some of them can and have been my sponsors in the past. Bank of America offers the Safe Balance Advantage account. Chase offers something very similar. And then Wells Fargo offers the Opportunity account. It gives us the opportunity to fuck you out of $10 a month. But the safe balance, safe balance advantage account. So sorry, I'm just trying to make myself laugh here. Is um, four ninety five a month. Bank of America charges it four ninety five a month for this account, which is sixty dollars a year, which is still a lot of money. And they offer low cost banking alternatives. And one of the great things about the safe balance account is you do not get any overdraft fees. And I used to sell this account to people. How would you like it if you can pay Bank of America $5 a month to ensure that there's not going to be any overdraft fees in your account? People will say, oh, that sounds good. And I would get these accounts and it, it would um, get me to my goal. Here's the thing with um, low-cost alternatives. So typically those checking accounts have limited access, meaning that they don't have um, check writing capabilities typically. So you can't write a check. You can't write a check for rent. You can't do um, check drafts for like credit card payments, for instance. Because the bank will um, reject the payment. But here's the thing. If you're doing everything electronically via auto draft. And they say that they don't charge you an overdraft fee. So let's say you have $50 in the account. And your electric bill is $200. Means you'd be at minus $150, right? So you can't overdraft. So what happens? Bank of America will reject the payment. And it'll force the recipient of the payment to reject the payment. So, yeah, it's all well and good that Bank of America does not charge you a fee for not having enough money for that because it didn't pay it through. But you know who charges you a fee? The electric company. The electric company is going to assess a $35, $45, $55, depending on what state you are, return item fee. You ever see that in restaurants? Like all bounce checks are subject to a $20 fee? That's what that means. So if someone doesn't auto pay and it gets rejected by their bank as you know to protect them from overdraft fees... It doesn't protect them from fees from the company they were trying to pay. So those low-cost banking options are a lie. They still cost customers a shit ton of money. And they still come with a debit card that'll still charge you a fee unless you use a bank-branded ATM. And most people don't have the patience to drive four miles out of the way to get their money. If they're at a grocery store, it's like, man, I need $20. They're just going to get at the grocery store at the, the store's ATM and then get charged a fee. You know, and, and this is the lesser extent now because of COVID and everything. But, you know, I went to Vegas a lot, going to a casino. It's $10 to get money out of casino ATMs. People just say, eh, I'm really spending money anyway. What's another $10? That, that, that low-cost checking option still has fees that can be racked up. There are still ways to make that 
crazy expensive for you. And I know the Bank of America one because I sold it. But like I said, um, Wells Fargo and Chase do offer similar accounts. I'll link to that in the show notes. That way I give you some perspective on that. Of course, with EDD going on, all the unemployment debit card fraud at Bank of America, I'm highly skeptical of anything that's intertwined with state government, especially with what's going on with California EDD. I have done two interviews about California EDD, and it's ridiculous. I think the way Bank of America is handling fraud claims, the fact that people are receiving their cards um, with $0 in there, before they activate it, and Bank of America says, well, we have proof, we have you on camera that you used it at this ATM on this day. No. I really think that there's something seriously going on with Bank of America. And I heard that Congress was looking to investigate that. And, man, I pray to God that they do. I, I've been talking about this for a year. I'm exhausted in talking about it. But um, it's something that I have spoken out a lot about. And it's ridiculous. So, excuse me if I'm a little skeptical of the state dealing with banking. How are they going to deal with fraud here when they don't have Bank of America to be a scapegoat? I'm not hating on California. I'm hating the fact that they tell you to trust Bank of America to do the right thing when I have thousands of people on Twitter that tell me that they're not. It's just really frustrating. Bank of America, Bank of the West, Wells Fargo, and Bank of California declined to comment on the legislation. Of course, you know... Um, and it says, although BankCal will be available to any California resident, it'll most likely be used by low-income families who find it difficult to open accounts or qualify for no free credit cards. So I don't know if that means that BankCal would use check systems because check systems is the way that most banks turn away low-income customers, you know, people who are at risk. Um, there's another type of system like that called Early Warning Services, LLC. That is actually owned by Bank of America. So Bank of America is in the business of telling you whether or not that you are approved for an account or not, which is ridiculous. 2019 survey by the FDIC said that 15% of black households and 13% of Latino households lacked bank accounts compared with less than 1.5% of white and Asian households. I got to tell you that um, that number is probably higher. That survey says 15 of 15% of blacks and 30% of Latinos. I say it's about a third of Latinos in New Mexico. It, it, it really truly is. You know, I know people who still get Social Security checks in the mail or they get that stupid debit card from the government. It's terrifying and it's scary. Race is also a factor for the underbanked households that have a bank account, um, often rely on money orders, check cashers, and high interest payday loans. I've told you a million stories about my mom with payday loans. I did a whole payday loan podcast a few months ago whenever Bank of America announced that they were getting into the payday loan business. Uh, money orders and check cashing services, absolutely. My um, family has utilized check cashing services before. And money orders, every Monday, I would go with my mom when I was a kid to go get my grandpa and grandma's money from the bank to pay their bills. She would go do a cash withdrawal at the bank We'd go to the post office and we'd make money orders at $1.10, $1.50 a pop, whatever it was. And we'd sit there writing money orders to pay bills by mail. This was in the year 2000 when I was in high school. This was not that long ago. This is something that they still do in 2021. I just talked to my mom today about it, for God's sakes. So trust me, it still happens. And it's because of the lack of trust of banks. It's about the customers doing what they want to do. 
And it's race has a huge factor in that because my parents and my grandparents are Mexican. And I live in a, in a very highly Mexican-American community. It says federal officials found that in addition with the, to those without any bank account, a quarter of Latino and black households were underbanked. Um, and, you know, underbanked means not enough accounts or not enough access to accounts and stuff like that. And we talk about that. I just told you about the ATMs in black neighborhoods turning off at 6 p.m. These are things that are really happening. These are things that are frustrating to me. And this is why I do the Notorious Banker Project. And it says BankCal is aimed at consumer basic services. Activists are pushing for cities to create publicly owned banks to lend money for affordable housing infrastructure and other municipal projects. I'm not totally against that. I'm not totally for that. That's a whole other can of worms there. It reminds me of big banks. Where, to me, big banks want to deal with rich customers and commercial banking, global banking, and lending and stuff like that. Once you get BankCal to do that stuff, then you just have another big bank at that point in time. So we can talk about that later. Let's get people into basic accounts, and, I, and I'm for that, okay? And I'm really, really for that. And, you know, it's it's frustrating to just talk about this stuff because we need to find a better option. And is this a better option? Maybe, but it's not the best option. I don't know what is the best option, though, and that's what just freaking sucks about this. Um, and according to Trinity Tran, the co-founder of the California Public Banking Alliance, says banking was a little public banking was a little known concept until recently, but is now catapulted into political sphere. It says BankCal provides a passport for Black, Brown, immigrant, low-income workers who have been excluded from the financial system. And you know, it says the bill's authors estimate the program would cost the state up to five million a year for as long as six years, or until 100,000 Californians have signed up. By that point, it says it'll be self-sustaining through merchant swipe fees from debit card purchases. Well, that's a pipe dream. I know that there's going to be more infrastructure than $5 million a year. There's going to be someone to operate it. There's got to be employees. There's got to be people to sign up. There's got to be customer service, 1-800 number people. It's going to be more than that. And, and, and I think you should be honest at that point in time. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Um, the merchant fee thing is what I talk about. The EDD thing with California swipe fees is the biggest thing for the banks because they make so much money on swipe fees. Why the hell would they just 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 give it all up? Say, oh, okay, someone ripped you off of five thousand. Here's five thousand dollars back. Good luck. No, they don't want to lose that money. And Bank of America's smart to to be in that business, and or they they were, and now they're in the Upshits Creek. What can I say? And it says 49% of unbanked households cited an inability to meet minimum balance requirements as one reason for not having a bank account. I believe that, but I also believe that a lot of people are afraid to know what the minimum balance requirements are and they don't know if they qualify or not. And it says a third said fees were too high and unpredictable. I agree with that. It should be more people that believe that. Um, a 2018 study by academics at New York University and the University of Kansas found that minimum opening deposit terms were higher in majority black neighborhoods and in white areas, and the balance required to avoid fees was also higher. If that's local banks, then yes, I can understand that. If it's national banks, then I, I question the study just a little bit. i got to read this study. Um, it's available by link here, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. 
Um, but a Bank of America in Compton, California is not going to have higher minimums than a Bank of America in Beverly Hills or minimums in Albuquerque, New Mexico or San Antonio, Texas. The one thing that Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Chase, for the most part, I would say 95% of the time, do offer is universal account types, account fees, account requirements. They used to do that a decade ago. 2018 was three years ago. They weren't doing that then. I was in banking then. And I'm not defending Bank of America, but I got to tell you, they had three accounts at Bank of America in 2018, and they were universal at all the states. I'm just saying. Trust me, I'm not for Bank of America on this one. Um, and, you know, there's this, this whole story on here talks about um, requiring landlords to accept rent payments through a bank account via ETF, sparing workers the need to travel. That's all well and good, but then people can lose their jobs, and then what if a landlord does an automatic draft? Then what happens? It, it still causes people to run into issues, but how do you handle those issues is the most important thing for me. And, you know, it says, by offering electronic bill payment, BankCal will relieve low-wage workers of the need to travel, often by public transportation, to pay bills in person. Some people will still want to write checks. Is checks going to be available to them? I don't know. And then... Um, she talks to someone named Sophia Lima, who has a two-year-old and seven-year-old, and she cashes her paychecks at a store half hour from home, and she has to take a bus to get to that, and she pays $12 to cash each paycheck, and takes hour-long bus trips to pay rent and half-hour trips to pay her phone bill using money orders. And says paying bills without a bank account is hard, but banks don't make it easy to sign up for an account or to keep one. I totally agree with her, and she speaks Spanish according to this. I am somewhat bilingual, so I understand the fear of some people dealing with big banks, and that's a big part of it. Um, Sophia's case is an extreme, I will be frank with you. Um, $12 to cash the paycheck, that's that's right about the amount for check cashing places. Hour-long bus trips and half-hour trips to pay the phone bill. That's just, a, honestly, it's a victim of circumstances, a victim of location, stuff like that. 95% of people probably don't have an issue like that. But it's the 5% we got to worry about, and I understand that. It says reliance on such alternatives consumes as much as 10% of the average income of underbank households or more than $2,400 a year. Well, if you're accounting for transportation, you're accounting for fees, you're accounting for an additional $5 charge to accept a money order payment for your phone or something, I know some phone companies do that, then yeah, maybe that's at the extreme as well. And it talks about undocumented immigrants. I've talked about that with the bank. And, of course, Bank of America always gets criticized by people on the right side of things saying, you open up credit cards for illegal immigrants or whatever. I've opened up credit cards for people who didn't have social security numbers. That is correct. And that's for people from Mexico, Russia, Iraq, Iran, whatever. I, I did that. And Bank of America allows that. So I'm not debating that. Um, but, you know, Bank of America does open bank accounts for some folks like that, and I will give them credit. They allowed me to do that while I work there. But also, I don't think, despite the fact that they give you a paper called the Clarity Statement, there's not a lot of clarity in how to avoid fees for those folks, and it's really, really frustrating, and it sucks for them. So, you know, talking about all this stuff, and there's one final quote here where it says, Folks turn to prepaid debit cards to pay a monthly fee whether they use it or not or a transaction fee for every time they do use it to pay basic bills and sometimes they're charged to check their balance. Yes, that happens. Those cash pay cards are available at your local grocery store, Walgreens, Walmart, 
people deal with it and it's horrible and and it's not the best way but sometimes it's the only way for them and sometimes that's the way people commit fraud too that's a whole other story um look there's no right or wrong way to do this we need to address the unbanked or underbanked people of this country and especially california too um when banks say that they offer low-cost alternatives well to me the average checking account should be free regardless there's got to be some framework to offer free accounts i know it a lot of banks offer it because they know that they're going to make money on the back end and a lot of my podcast deals with people being unbanked or underbanked and one of the things that I say, and I've talked about it before, and this is how I lost my job, is, you know, Bank of America doesn't want to be in the business of the paycheck-to-paycheck person. Because, yeah, you can charge them a $12 monthly fee, and, yeah, you're feeing them to death, quote-unquote, whatever. But think about it from the bank's perspective here. you got to pay the bills for a branch location, you know, the electric bill, the water, all that good stuff, the internet, the phone lines, and all that you got to pay 5 to 10 employees a minimum $20 an hour. you got to pay for computers. you got to pay for carpet and to keep up the carpet and the upholstery and everything. And then you got to factor in, of course, you know, setting up a business license in a location, blah, 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 blah. It costs money to operate that bank. So $12 a head, if there's three or 4,000 people there in that location, probably doesn't justify the cost of that branch. So reason that branches are there are to make additional money through sales, through credit cards and loans and whatnot. And my bank got closed because I was in a low-income neighborhood with not a lot of wealthy customers. And the loans that I was able to get, and I was successful at getting loans, were not of the dollar value that Bank of America wanted. So they decided to open banks in Utah, like in the rich parts of Utah, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Denver, you know, all these places got Bank of America's right around the time that my bank closed. And those places are burgeoning, and New Mexico struggles. New Mexico is always 48th, 49th, or 50th in the country in something. And I understand that. And I can understand as a business part, a business aspect of it, saying that, yeah, we're not making a lot of money in New Mexico. But when is just offering basic checking account services a lost leader for a company? Just say, you know what, we're going to do the right thing and offer these things. And, and you wonder why they keep around low-income customers still. And, of course, the banks and the Bankers Association are going to be against this public banking bill because, in reality, they do not want to help these poor customers. But the same reason that you keep, you know, old coins or the same reason I was just talking to my brother about baseball cards a second ago, the same reason you keep your baseball cards as a kid, you're hoping that one of them just hits it big and becomes a million-dollar card at some point. The reason that big banks are even dealing with poor customers, even to the the smallest extent that they are now, is the possibility that one of them will make something of themselves and need credit and need lending and grow their money and add accounts and add business accounts to their portfolio at Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or Chase. That's the dream and the hope for any of the big banks. But the people who are there paycheck to paycheck and then get a fee and then wait 30 minutes to speak to a banker and they say, hey, can you refund this fee? I'm hungry, whatever. And then they're taking up the spot of someone you can open an account for. That's why big banks hate these type of customers. So they say that they're against it. They decline to comment. They're probably for it, but they're also understanding that they're going to lose those few diamonds in the rough that they're going to get 
um, that are low-income, paycheck-to-paycheck people. And I don't think that they're going to be crying too many tears over it, to be honest with you. And the frustrating thing is this. I'm going to wrap it up here. I know this, and most people know it, but they just fail to accept it, okay? They fail to accept the fact that, man, it seems like Bank of America treats the poor person really bad. Yes, they do. And go with that and understand that. You've got to understand that they have a sales goal, these bankers and these branches. And if you're there complaining about fees, they're not getting anything from you. They get yelled at by their boss. They don't really want you there because you're causing them harm. <laughs> it sucks. I hate saying it. But I used to feel that way about customers who just want to leave me alone about fees. I couldn't refund their fees because we weren't allowed to. But then I have to hear their spiel about why banks are horrible. Yes, I know we're horrible. I, yes, I know they're horrible. But there's nothing I can do. Banks are willing to sacrifice millions of customers because they know that those people are worthless to them. And these people are not worthless people. They are the backbone of America, guys. And whether they're undocumented, whether they have documents, whether they make minimum wage or whether you make $100,000 a year, basic banking services need to improve in this country. And if BankCal has any chance of uh, thriving in a state with 40 plus million customers, well then I wish it good luck. Because it's definitely an alternative from the big bank system. And frankly, if more people had ideas like this and actually went through with them, then yours truly, the notorious banker, will be out of business because then I wouldn't be fighting back against big banks. I would be promoting the fact that people are coming up with alternatives. Just because someone banks at a place that has 67 million customers like B of A does, does not mean 66,999,999 people are excited about their bank. A lot of times they're stuck, they're underbanked, and they don't know how to get out of that abusive relationship, and I'll say it. Hopefully this changes, but this article really opened my eyes. I'm going to continue to follow uh, this bill that's going through uh, the California Assembly. I really don't know stuff about California Assembly, but I will continue to monitor monitor this, and I will let you know what's going on with it. And I plan on speaking with some people in California about their thoughts on this, and maybe I'll do an additional podcast about it. But I'm back with a vengeance. I hope I didn't ramble on for too long. My name is James, the Notorious Banker. I'm at BankBetterGuy on Twitter. Please follow me there. If you like what I do and you want to contribute to my project, go to Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. I'm also available on TikTok at NotoriousBanker. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, James at thenotoriousbanker.com or thenotoriousbanker at gmail.com. If you have a question or comment that you'd like me to air on a future podcast, 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line, please keep it to three minutes or less. And guys, thank you so very much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting my project. I am really glad that I'm able to talk to you about these things and... I just did an hour-long podcast about something I just literally read about today. I already formed my opinions on it, and I really hope the best for the state of California. Um, I hate to say it, and I say it um, a lot, to be honest with you. In 2020 was the most successful year I've ever had in any part of my career, and I didn't make a lot of money, but what I did was I did exert a lot of influence. I was able to talk to and help a lot of people in California and other states with my brand of Vigilante customer service and I'm really grateful and thankful for that but I'm also humbled at the fact that it took half a million dead people 
tens of millions of people infected with the virus and the frustration and the 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 fear that we had about money and jobs and everything for me to gain a foothold of the banking conversation on social media guys thank you so much for that trust i really do appreciate it i'm going to continue to try to make you proud and give them how the way that i could um shout out again to the reporter margot roosevelt who wrote this in the la times i link to a lot of stuff in the show notes my friends until we talk again in a few days, and I promise you it'll be about four or five days between this one and the next one, no more 14-day wait. My name is James and Torres Banker saying thank you so very much for listening to this podcast, and I'm back, and um, let's end bullying where we can, guys. You have a great day. <laughs>